Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Myths and Stories. Uh, tonight we are continuing our tellings of the history of the Awoken people in Destiny 2. Uh, we are going to be uh, focusing tonight on the Queen's Wrath position, uh, as well as the escapades of Aldrin Sov um, prior to us ever meet our, our player guardian, ever meeting him in game, um, and kind of see where his issues really started in the soul system uh outside of his issues with mara already um our last episodes we went over uh kind of the awoken first entering the solar system and the division between the two where some went to earth immediately to help and others stayed in the reef to build up their own society before uh, offering help elsewhere, uh, leading into the uh, reef wars and the battles between the Awoken and the Fallen, uh, including Mara uh, saving the city from the, uh, the fleet of uh, millions of Fallen in the House of Wolves and uh, taking over and subjugating most of them as as one would do with a force that they have conquered or or beaten into submission (laughs) (laughs) um so tonight we're going to be talking about uh sheer ido and petrovenge to begin with uh not going to be starting immediately with a book chapter the the remaining lore cards around these two figures uh, at this point in time are a little more scattered. Uh, we're going to be reading a lot of uh, D1 Grimoire and um, lore entries from particular weapons. Uh, most, no, I think all of the weapons uh, and armor that we're talking about are still available in-game uh, via the Dreaming City or it's an exotic. So if you're interested in finding this stuff for yourself, you can go farm it if you so choose. Yeah. And you you can always read the the lore entries from the from guns that you don't own as well. If you ever go into the collections and just find a gun that that uh, that looks like a Dreaming City aesthetic or something like that, uh, it'll have some Dreaming City lore on it. Uh, and Myth and I looked through a bunch of this stuff, and and a lot of it's not too pertinent. Um, there's some high points in in some of it, and one of them we're going to start off with tonight. Uh, uh, but yeah, any of that lore, any of the lore entries that we grab that aren't specifically from the lore books, uh, are from uh, weapons and armor found throughout uh, Destiny Two. So yeah, make sure to read your armor before you dismantle it to <laughs> <laughs> get more shards for it. <laughs> yep, uh, and we actually had the suggestion by somebody on Twitter, and I've been trying to do it going forward. Um, I'm going to be including the. Uh, lore book and chapter when relevant or the weapon or armor uh in chronological order of our readings in the description of every episode so uh if you don't quite catch what our source is for a t- for a particular portion um you can that should be available uh, i actually started that a couple episodes ago but it should be available going forward to to find those yourself if you are interested Look at us, all fancy and professional. I know, look at that. I like it. <laughs> uh, but tonight we are going to go ahead and start 
with the uh, legendary weapon Sleepless, which is a Dreaming City weapon. Uh, and this tells us a little bit uh, about a premonition that Shir Ido was having. We know before she had had premonitions of her own death, which she told Mara about. Uh, and post that what would have otherwise been her death that was prevented by Mara, um, she has a premonition of a different sort that is pretty interesting. So, this one goes like this. Sheer snorts and coughs as she wakes herself up from a sound sleep. You are drooling, Mara says. She's perched in a divan nearby. There are books open all around her. She has dog-eared dozens of pages. I was dreaming, Sheer says, wiping her mouth off with the back of her hand. I saw you on a great black triangle, and you split it in two with your bare hands. Hmm, Mara responds. And I was dead, I think? She cracks her neck with a deliciously loud pop. Or trapped? Like in a maze, but pretty close to figuring my way out. Mm Mm-hmm. Shear stands up to stretch. She doesn't mind that Mara's not listening. Let her read. And there was another woman with you. On the triangle, Mara murmurs. Mm, yeah, she was helping. Then your brother showed up, and... She shakes out her arms, frowning thoughtfully. The dream is already fading. He said... Tropea? Or maybe it was tropical. Anyway. And that's quite abruptly where that one ends. Myth and I have discussed this one quite a bit in the past, and there's a lot of there's a lot of things in here that I thought uh now again this you gotta remember when this weapon came out. This was a Dreaming City weapon. Uh so this is what we're talking Forsaken, uh ex- the expansion Forsaken uh, for Destiny Two. Uh, and a lot of events that that obviously we've played through now, like the the um, the adventures on Europa, the the, uh, Shad- the not Shadow Throne, um, the uh, Throne World, Seventeenth Throne World, uh, some of these things hadn't existed. So Myth and I had kind of gone back and forth on like what some of these things were in this dream, and like the first thing that comes to mind is you know the pyramid, right, standing on top of a black triangle, which is, is seems like to be seems to me to be like uh, a reference to a pyramid ship uh and then of course sheer mentions that she that mara had split the thing in two with her bare hands so a broken pyramid ship with mara atop it now again this is a dream that that sheer is having so dreams are some of the hardest things to interpret um but then she talks about another woman standing on it and that Sheer herself was dead or trapped or something. And so Myth had Myth and I had a couple of ideas on what this could have meant. This could have meant, you know, maybe the other woman up there was the Exo Stranger. Maybe it was Eris Morn, because uh, Eris has a has a real good uh rapport with the Queen. You know, it maybe it was the player guardian. Who knows? Uh maybe it was Ikora. You know, there's there's plenty of plenty of female characters uh throughout uh Destiny's lore. Uh, that could have been up there with her, uh, and then Sheer being trapped or dead, 
when we play through the the dungeon, the Shattered Throne. There's a statue of Sheer there, and she talks about I will return and da 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 da. And so, like, is is does is she actually dead? Is she trapped in the ascendant plane? Is you know what what has happened to Sheer in this in this dream state? Uh, and then it goes on to talk about her brother, talking about tribute or or tropical or something like. What does that even mean? Like, what 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 to Aldrin would be a tribute or a tropical or whatever? And then you know she just kind of shakes the whole thing off. So this this is a this is a very interesting uh, lore entry here, I think. No, absolutely. Um, I am personally of the belief that this is referencing events that we still have not seen in game yet. Um, I think you're right. I the my has no real backing other than conjecture theory uh, about this particular one is that this event is, uh, if we're to take it literal, um, I see this being Mara and I personally think Eris is the most likely, um, but I, I see this being Mara uh, defending against the uh, invasion of the witness when the witness is actually in the system. I think that's when this, this stuff Ooh. is going to happen. Um, no, right. Knowing what we know now. Full-on full on prediction again. Yeah, full-on <laughs> prediction. I'm, I'm staking absolutely nothing on this. Uh, I, again, all conjecture. Staking your reputation as a content creator, damn it. I guess so. Uh, but I... I I can see this scene playing out as in the witness is it finally here invading the soul system. Maybe this is during Lightfall. Uh and Mara is defending and she you know, we've seen her do incredible things before. She may literally cleave a, a pyramid in half uh with whatever I, power I she has. That. I wanna see it too. I want I wanna see her do that just straight up karate chop, just yeah! whole <laughs> the whole pyramid snaps in half. That'd be awesome. That's right. Karate Kid got nothing on this. Uh, right. right. <laughs> <laughs> but regardless, I think she's going to rebuke the initial invasion from the witness. Uh, perhaps that's what gives us time to, to try and fend them off over the course of the season or, or whatnot. Uh, and I think that whatever season or expansion that happens in is when Shiraido will return. Because I, I do not believe she's dead dead and we will um see some of the evidence to that uh actually in the next couple entries that we read here um i was gonna say there's there's a lot of entries coming up tonight that i think i i don't think she's dead either like yeah we don't we we haven't seen her in game yet we've we, we as the player have never had a chance to interact with her personally um except for with the statue that's in the shattered throne uh but yeah i I I don't know. I don't think she's I don't think she's dead. Yeah, I uh I don't think so either. Um so the other interesting little bit here I uh, is Tropia. I was going to say what's the deal with the Aldrin stuff? Yeah, so supposedly what she thinks Aldrin um or I more likely Crow now um says is Oh sure. Tropia. I uh, and Tropia has a has two distinct uh, definitions and origins that I could find. Um, there's Tropia, which has an ancient Greek origin, um, which was a place. It was a town of ancient Arcadia. Uh, 
that apparently it, it is it is one of those lost cities that has never been located. Um, so that might be kind of oh, interesting. That'd be, be kind of cool. Like may, maybe we stumble upon this ancient ruin of this this Tropia place uh, for whatever reason, you know, whatever the narrative reason is. Um, but if we look at it from a Latin perspective versus uh, the Greek uh, translation, as a Latin translation, which is to mean a trophy or victory memorial. Uh, so that would be a little more um, metaphor, I suppose, but I, I, don't, I also don't know how that would fit into this particular scene. I would think that would be more of like a, like a, um, that, that would play more Crow's character, right? Like he measures himself by what he survives. And so if he's saying something about a trophy or something, then maybe he is he's found he survived something and that his that is his trophy, him or he, he has survived to see Mara cleave this thing in two. Like maybe that's the maybe that's the trophy or something. Or maybe Aldrin is pointing at the at the Cleveland pyramid saying trophy or something. Like I I don't know. There's again, it's this is a very open ended mm-hmm. thing that has a lot of <laughs> hidden meanings, I feel like. Yeah, no, absolutely. I he could be saying that like the act of of doing that of destroying a pyramid um is a a mark of their victory now if we want to get really metaphorical perhaps the cleaving of the pyramid is a a a a metaphor a, a an allegory for the darkness or the witness itself perhaps that's that vision is of them actually winning against the witness as a whole um in which case then Ah, victory would absolutely work there right no 100 percent. that i mean that's still that's kind of like the ultimate goal i i don't know if that's like the ultimate goal in destiny but it seems like that's the ultimate goal is to just stop the witness from unmaking (laughs) the universe the goal for now at least yeah that seems to be the goal for now so yeah, I could definitely see that as being the trophy as as you know, we've we've beaten the darkness. We have we have finally and and so now now again I'm gonna I'm gonna kinda rewind it back a little bit to the two people stand or the, the, the woman standing on top of there. I I if if it's beating the darkness, then I think the two most most viable people that would be up there with her would be Erisborn or the stranger. But I, I, I think narratively, I think we've finished off the stranger's story i think she is just happens to be playing along with us type thing at this at this at 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 our at at the current point in time in the game right now the stranger is just kind of she's just there she's just helping facilitate the use of stasis and 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 that yeah so at at the current point in the game i will agree um i think the stranger is going to have a larger role to play going forward um but just based on what the interactions we've seen and the relationships between characters that we know about, uh, I agree. I think the most likely person is is Eris Morn standing with Mara and Crow, um, because we know Eris has a a, a, a long standing friendship with Mara, and uh, over this season especially has established um, her herself as someone that Crow can can turn to for advice and and support. Uh, so I just I think that makes sense for her to be the one there. Oh, well, there you go. 
we also need an answer to that stupid little fish thing that we never got. And the only <laughs> other acknowledgement has been a Reason Lauren tree of, of Drifter going, what the hell are you? Yeah. <laughs> I want my stupid little fish ghost. That's all I want. The fact they acknowledged it in the lore anywhere. That's even worse. Well, that, that makes me think we're going to get something soon. That, I don't know if that makes it better or worse, but in my head, that makes it even worse, because now the people in-game are even questioning Bungie, like, what are you doing? Give us our fish thingy. All right. Well, that that finishes out uh, the our discussion on the Sleepus lore entry. What's our, what's our next uh, yeah, so entry? Yeah, so continuing and kind of concluding, for now, the story of Sheer Ido, uh, we're going to turn to the Wish Ender exotic bow. Um, now, I don't know if the exotic quest for Wish Ender exists in-game anymore, or if this is purely just something you get from the kiosk now. Um, I, I can confirm it does not. Okay. Uh, we have Tian Italiano to help <laughs> clarify that. <laughs> uh, if you if you do have the quest entry, like you can still do the quest, but I think it bugged out on him when you go to pick it up, mm. pick up the the wish ender from the statue. I can't remember if it did or if it didn't. I th- I think he had to sit there for a while, and then it finally just auto completed because part of it wanted you to go back to the to the tangled shore, which doesn't, doesn't exist, exist anymore. Yeah. So can't exactly do a quest when the location doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, yeah. No, that that makes things difficult. Um, regardless, I. Just uh, this this is one of those weapons that really I'm of two minds of because its story and its appearance and like its uh its pedigree like who used it and and its uh significance to the universe is probably one of my favorite in the game period um and and I have a soft spot for bows in general being a, a archer <laughs> myself um but. Olympic recurve archer. <laughs> Olympic as in the style, not as in competed. <laughs> There's a big difference. Uh, <laughs> I like I like it. Um but the uh the utility of this particular weapon means that almost no one is ever using it, including myself. Uh but as far as everything else, like it's oof, it's wonderful. Uh it is. But so in case you hadn't picked up on it, Wish Ender is the longbow of Sheer Ido. It, it is the bow that she had to wrap around her entire body to string uh, that Mara apparently enjoyed watching happen. Um, so the lore card for Wish Ender tells us about the, uh, the last moments of Sheer Ido. And it goes like this. Sheer Ido stood slow joint stood slow, joint snapping, second to none but the sobs themselves, and stood straight backed, sharp sighted, pleased to skewer enemies at any difference. Sheer Ido listened close, head cocked, arrow knocked, listened to her queen's layered lies, and heard only the truths as endless courtly complaints flowed around them like the mist of Divalia. Sheer Ido watched shadows wind, warp widen, watched surveillance feeds encrypted, snaps the weapon hand of every woman and man who wished an audience. Sheer Ido swore with revelation righteous fury, 
betrayed, 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 swore an oath to rise again. Sheer Ido drew, loosed, fell, lost. And the little bit of flavor text on this one is a quote from Sheer, presumably to Mara, saying, Don't fret. It's a simple expedition. We'll be back before lunch. Uh, presumably, that is what she said to Mara before leaving on this expedition that appears to have uh, ended with her falling. And I think it's important there at the end that it's, it doesn't say killed. It doesn't say dead. It says lost. Yes. And that was something that Myth and I, uh, we were, we were, we were really sure that something was going to come of that uh, in the season of the Lost, just because it had the same name. We were like, Myth and I were convinced that Shirida was coming back that season. Yeah, and we were not correct. <laughs> <laughs> we we were a little bummed. <laughs> yeah, I I felt like uh, I really thought it was going to happen. It, it all kind of lined up with the the. It did. The naming convention and yeah, whatever. I was so ready for it, but um, but I wanted because this this lore card is very um jumbled, uh, and yeah, and even I tried to put some pauses in there where I thought they were, but if you go and read this yourself, it is one giant run-on sentence, almost almost as if it's like a thought happening, right? Like it's just a continuous thought happening, because that's the way I take it is like this is a thought that is happening inside Shirado's head. So I I want to break it down a little bit, or as much as we can. Um, so I think what we might be looking at here is two thoughts being mixed. I I think one of them would be along the lines of uh, Shirido stood uh, second to none, but the Sovs themselves, straight-backed, sharp-sighted, pleased to skewer enemies at any distance. So she was the Queen's Wrath at this point, and she was second in command in the Awoken the the Awoken Society. Like only Mara and Aldrin had authority over her. Um And then the second sentence, if we try and dejumble it here, Sheer Ido listened close to her queen's layered lies and heard only the truths as endless courtly complaints flowed around around them like the mists of Devalia. So she stood, you know, as any bodyguard does, she stood in the throne room looking for, you know, signs of a threat against the queen. But it was a it was a lot of listening to people complain at Mara about XYZ things that they needed. And her listening to Mara tell them in Mara's very, you know, political, mysterious way, the uh, maybe lies and half truths that would you know sedate that that particular person for a while, um, and she at least could decipher what Mara was actually saying. You know what what was under all these layers of of fluff to know the uh, the actual intention Mara was trying to communicate. Man, uh, the the next bit here, if we try and. D scramble. Um, Shirado watched uh, the weapon hand of every woman and man who wished an audience. So again, she was just protecting, um, protecting Mara. Uh, 
Shir Ido swore with revelation, righteous fury, and oath to rise again. Presumably, whatever it was that caused her to be lost or, or to fall, um, she swore then and there that she would, she would come back. And now this bit is interesting. So if, if we, I guess let's back up. If we go back and use the bits of this dialogue um, that I haven't already said, and we try and piece those together into something, um, we can say, Sure, Ido stood slow, joints snapping, uh, sharp sighted. Please to skewer enemy any enemy at any distance. So some of those words are the same, but I think it's talking about two different events. In one case, we're talking about her in the courtroom, you know, listening to people coming through and, and the daily dronings of being a ruler and having to make decisions. And in the other one, especially knowing she went on an expedition of some sort, I'm getting the image personally of her like stood slow, joints snapping, um, sharp-sighted, please skew her enemies in any distance, of her, like, prowling through a forest or something, um, like, sure. on, on the hunt in some way. Well, and, and I was going to ask, could this be the same event, but from two different points of view? Possibly, yeah. Uh, though I don't know that all of it translates if we're assuming it's happening in the courtroom sure sure if if it's like what you're describing there where it's like a like a hunter uh, a huntress on the prowl like it yeah you can you can be metaphorically on the prowl in the courtroom yeah. like yeah I'm, I'm looking i'm watching those people over there and i'm watching these people over there just like this this is like the military mind in in, in my in the back of my head going okay i'm surveying the room i'm looking for threats i'm i'm kind of on the hunt but not in that sense of like you know i've been i've been crouched down in a sniper pose for you know six weeks on end and now i'm kind of standing up and kind of unfolding myself as i'm creaking and popping and standing up so yeah i i i don't know i like i like both variations here i like the the idea of this being the same event from two points of view or two separate events that are kind of playing at the same time in Shear's head. Yeah. Um, I think the, the next bit solidifies more the like out hunting something for me personally. Um, the Shear sure. Ido listened close, head cocked, arrow knocked. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. So, you know, she has an arrow knocked in the bow. She's, you know, kind of got her head tilted like listening intently for something um and then sheer ido watched shadows wind warp and widen watch surveillance feeds uh so she was yeah the she was watching the shadows she was very uh, maybe paranoid um it sounds like but it. was was very aware of stuff going on keeping always watching these surveillance feeds um you know, in whatever form those may have taken. Uh, and then the, uh, the, the next bit is sandwiched between Shira Ido swore with revelation, righteous fury, um, and oath to rise again. Between those two statements, between fury and swore, is just a line of the word betrayed essentially copy and pasted over and over and over again. It looks like maybe like 10 times. I was, 
I was fixing to say, you said maybe 10. Two, three, and now four, I'm questioning. Five, six, seven, eight. It's it? eight times. It's eight times. Oh, damn. I, I know. was hoping it would be either be seven for Bungie or nine for like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so she has this this long string of just betrayed, betrayed, betrayed. And the fact that it's with um with revelation, so she's discovering something, whatever this something was, she felt extremely betrayed by it. Uh and presumably that betrayal is what then led to her her um falling. Hard. We really don't have any indication of what that betrayal might have been. Right. If it had been nine, we would have had a yeah. That would have been a whole other thing. An <laughs> <laughs> um, but regardless, something uh, did not go correctly on this expedition, and it led to the presumed death of Shiraido, and uh, she she was lost. Um, so that brings us to a uh not a lore entry this is actually um a bounty uh if you do some of the um field assignment bounties in the dreaming city uh which are usually given to you by shirochi um I, and if you haven't done them i i definitely suggest doing them if if you're interested in the area because they're really cool where they have you go to an area and then Shirochi actually gives you history about the thing that is in that area. Um, and you get some really interesting information. Very, very, very fun way to have a story told to you throughout, throughout the, uh, just, just, just in the sense of a, of a, uh, exploration area, right? Like oh, yeah. to, to have a patrol area. And then now you have this techian, this, this tech, witch that's literally telling you, the history of why you know why is this rock the way it is why is this bridge here why is this building here what is this giant machine up here like it's it's a really really cool way to to have a story told uh through gameplay yeah no absolutely i still think this is one of like the best examples they have had of doing um doing just that making these bounties feel meaningful or, or uh not bounties public patrols um feel meaningful and feel very organic to the location that they're in um and they they have done they have definitely toyed with some of this uh in shadow keep with toland on the moon but just they haven't felt quite as complete as what they did in the dreaming city at least not to to me sure uh but this one in particular is a uh, a field assignment mission um to the harbinger's seclude specifically the spiral tree within the the harbinger seclude which is a lost sector i believe uh and shirochi gives us this little bit of dialogue about this tree she says this chamber was refashioned in honor of sheer ido the first queen's wrath when she was found dead she was a fearsome warrior in her own right the only awoken to ever survive an aphelian attack and a skilled hunter of traitorous Ahamkara. It's taboo to carve a statue for someone who still lives, and so sometimes we will plant trees instead. The queen planted this one herself after one of our best warriors went missing. 
would that we were all so lucky. Uh, so the, the implication for Sheer here is that, um, you know, she has this entire chamber dedicated to her. Uh, she was seen amongst the Awoken people as a fearsome warrior, the only Awoken to ever survive an Ephelian attack. No, we do not know what an Ephelian is yet. I was trying to say, there's Ephelian's <laughs> Rest is one of the lost sectors, so it's got to be something big, right? Uh, yeah, the Ephelian the is the Ephelian's Rest, from what I'm remembering off the top of my head, is where Shear killed that Ephelian. Um, but they never say what it is, other than just some <laughs> terrifying thing. Could it could it have been like a worm or an Ahamkara? I I feel like if it were an Ahamkara, they would have just called it that. Um, oh sure. Sure. A worm, maybe, but again, maybe they would have just called it that. Um, it yeah. seems like an Ephelian might be something completely different. Uh, okay. Some type of space space monster. Yeah. Yeah. Some some you know, you can trudge up whatever is the space monster of your nightmares, and that's what an <laughs> Ephelian is until they tell us otherwise. I like it. Uh, the other thing here, though, that I think is important to note is they say she was a skilled hunter of traitorous Ahamkara. Uh, presumably, then, the Awoken were in contact with Ahamkara outside of Riven and uh, had dealings with them in some way that would classify some of them as being traitorous, as as betraying the awoken or betraying their agreement with the awoken in some fashion uh, sure so perhaps that is what sheer was hunting when she was killed uh or when when she was lost i guess well and there, there there's a i guess i have two things here uh could this have been at, at the beginning of of that entry particularly does it it's it says that they found the 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 body of Sheer, right? And that's actually in the very next entry that we're going to talk about. Okay then. Well, I'll hold that thought for a second then. Uh so then rewinding to my second thought, which is now my first thought. <laughs> <laughs> um could this have been part of the great Ahamkara hunts? Unclear. Uh certainly okay. possible. Um but not certain if uh sheer was taking part in the hunts at the same time that the guardians were i it's hard to know with timelines not being sure. you know with not having good like uh you know landmark moments described during the time that sheer sheer uh you know died um to compare to it, it it's not impossible um Certainly the city would know about the existence of the Awoken at the Reef of this point because of the, the Reef Wars. Um, yep. So it wouldn't be as big of a secret anymore, and they, they maybe did reveal themselves to take part in the hunts uh, to some degree. Um, well, and that was something... Actually, now that I say that, uh, I think that was the case because I believe that's where Shax met Sheer Ido the first time. That's what I was going to ask. I I remember that Shax and Sheer knew each other, uh, because Shax has a has a has a um, pet name <laughs> for Sheer. <laughs> uh, he refers to her as the Tempest, right? 
That's right. Um, and that is on the recluse uh, gun, I do believe. Which, despite being a terror for other reasons during the time it was in the game, um, <laughs> I say it actually has a, a good little bit of lore to it. We might as well read it because it, it is it is relevant to this this part here. Uh, so this is from the recluse gun, and it goes like this: An arrow whined out of nowhere. It drove through his shoulder, penetrating his armor as though it were paper, not play steel. No enemies on his tracker. So then, where? The second arrow hit harder than the first, straight through his other shoulder, skewering the joint. He twisted his head, saw the arrowhead protruding through his pauldron, chuckled humorously, looked through the trees. The asteroids of the reef did not afford many hiding places even those which had been terraformed to support plants and animals. So the shooter had to be... The third arrow penetrated his thigh, and he laughed aloud. Transmat? His ghost suggested, a quiet voice in his mind. No, they started this. I'll finish it. Unable to lift any of his own weapons in defense, concerned that he might compromise his ghost if he made any attempt to heal himself with the light, Lord Shax began to limp toward the shooter's likeliest vantage. This was the work of a ballista, he supposed. Dark Age weaponry. Nothing else could hit so hard. As he tottered along, an awoken woman in the near distance seemed to rise from the forest floor. She cast aside her camouflage and stood straight. He stopped to gawk. She was as tall as he was, if not taller. Her bow, just a bow, an ordinary bow, was certainly even taller. You're trespassing on awoken territory, guardian, she called to him. Declare yourself. Who are you? he asked, astounded. I am the queen's wrath. Declare yourself, I will not ask again. She raised her bow, drawing it to its full capacity. He watched in amazement. It was just a bow, and she was just an ordinary awoken woman. And yet... You are a tempest, he replied humbly. In the next instant, she killed him. It was the start of a beautiful friendship. Okay. <laughs> some, some of these Lauren traits you can't help but laugh at. Like, you just... I could, I could, like you could just see it, right? Like you could, like every guardian knows who Shax is. Like the mm-hmm. yes, guardian, get throw more grenades, and he's just like this woman. Who the hell are you? Like, <laughs> <laughs> and she just stayed there. Don't worry about who the hell I am. Who the hell are you? And he's just like, what the hell is going on? And he's like, she's just like, don't worry about what the hell is going on. You declare yourself, damn it. But you're just a swap. <laughs> arrow through the arrow through the shoulder, arrow to the knee, arrow to the face, dead. Yeah. Shax re- revives. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> so yeah, no, I that's yeah, yeah. So I that entry, I'm glad we we thought of that one and and decided to bring it up. 
Um, I'm glad you remember where it was. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that entry, I think, is important. It shows just how intimidating and powerful Sheer Ido was. Who was not a light bearer, mind you? She was yep. a just mortal awoken that had the capacity to incapacitate Shax with what he thought was a ballista before he saw her. Just an ordinary awoken woman, right? Like that's yep. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's she's she was a badass. She was an absolute terror. And for her to I think that 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 kind of like what you're saying, like that that plays more to this entry of of the wish of like what could have felled her? Right. Like that's that's the question. Like what was she fighting? What was betraying her? What what could have caused her to fall? And we just we just don't know. We just flat out don't know. But I I'm in the same mind. Even though it says in the one lore entry that they found her body, I don't. I'm not. I'm not 100 sold here. I I think Shira Ido is still alive somewhere. Whether whether she whether Mara saved her and and tucked her away in a little pocket universe in her own little throne world or something, I I don't know. I that would be my thought. Like I yeah, because there's there's. Uh, again, to speak of more lore entries, uh, or not lore entries, more uh, text uh, dialogue that you get from when you're doing the Wish Inner Quest, the statue that you have, because um, they, 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 it, it says, you know, it's it's forbidden to to make a statue out of somebody that's still alive, and so they would plant trees, and so that that's the whole thing there. But when you go to the Shattered Throne in game, like right now, if you went through Shattered Throne, there's a there's a right after you fight the big ogre, there's a statue of an awoken woman holding Wishender, and that is the statue of Shirido. And so the fact that it is a carved statue would make would make you think that she is dead. Like they, they are saying that she is dead. Like in all these points are pointing to where she's dead. But then even at the statue, you hear the voice of Shirido saying, I will rise again. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I just I'm not fully sold on this idea that Shirado's dead and, until somebody just comes out and says she's dead. Damn it, she's dead, Jim. Then I'm not I'm not believing it. Yeah, I'm of the mindset that uh, Mara believes that Shira is dead. I I don't think Mara wanted to believe it for quite some time, but I I think she finally accepted. Shear's never coming back, and so she she created the statue. Um, and we'll talk about that moment probably next week's episode. Um, but I don't believe that she is actually gone. I think maybe her mortal form, her her you know mortal shell, is uh sure. is gone. But uh, as as we have found, and as we'll talk about uh, next week, there are ways around having your mortal form. Uh, disintegrated or otherwise uh, devoid of life in the Destiny universe. Uh, so the next, uh, so that kind of wraps up Shear's story, uh, as far as the Awoken are concerned. Uh, uh, well, we have we have one more entry. Um, oh, oh, which surprise entry <laughs> <laughs> isn't necessarily talking about uh, Shear um, herself, but more about the fallout of her being discovered being discovered um because because her being the queen's wrath like that's that's a big deal if she's if she's fallen like obviously we need it they need to appoint another one like there's a whole there's a whole line of stuff that goes with that yes absolutely uh because as i said before she was second in command to the awoken people essentially um 
So this is on the Hunter exotic gauntlets called Oathkeeper. Uh, and even here, the flavor text for Oathkeeper is a quote from Shiraido saying, I have not yet met my true death. Again, just a hint that she's not really gone. Um, but the lore card for Oathkeeper goes like this. This was on her body, your grace. A strange coin lay at the center of Abra's outstretched palm. Mara took it between her thumb and forefinger and held it up to the, held it up to the cosmos with dainty contempt. Where guild, she thought. Powerful grief filled her chest as thick and caustic and heavy as unset concrete. And her bow. Gone. Hugin and Moongin? The Ahamgara are dead, and their bones are silent, but Petravenge has... Who? A corsair, recently titled. She is a child. Paldenzire flinched as if slapped. My queen, our spies in the House of Judgment tell us the wolves plan to attack Hygia next. I loved Shear as I love all we have lost, and I grieve her, but if we divert our attention now to vengeance against an unknown enemy. Mara put down the coin and allowed herself a small, humorless smile. Then let it be my diversion. And that's the end of the Oathkeeper card. Um, so th- all right, so I got several things to say here. But go ahead. Yeah, so... Th- the first thing about this entry is it does give us a little bit of a time frame for when this happened. This happened during the Reef Wars, the, the battle, because sure. um, they talk about They talk about the, the, the House Judgment. Yep. Um, yep. The other thing about this, the, the two kind of key things here, uh, or I guess there's three. Um, the first, a strange coin lay at the center of Abra's outstretched palm. Now, Strange Coin in this lore card is not capitalized. It is not treated That's as a proper noun. That's what I was going to ask. Uh, it's not treated as a proper noun. So it's kind of up for interpretation if Strange in this, this context literally means just unknown Tamara, uh, or if it's Strange Coin as in the coins that we give Zer in you know, to, to get things from him, presumably um, a currency that the nine recognize or created in some way. Which that, if, if it's the latter of the two here, there are lots of implications of what could have happened to Sheer Ido. Absolutely. Um, the, other, the other thing there is that if we do maybe go with the idea that this was something having to do with the nine, um, we also see Mara say that she believes the coin to be Ware Guild. Uh, Ware Guild, for those uh, that are unfamiliar, is a term meaning um, essentially payment for killing somebody, uh, usually in the context of uh, two nations. Um, if you know, there it's more, I don't know if medieval is the correct time period, but that's what comes to mind. Uh, it, it was definitely a more um, uh, 
you know, the time of kingdoms and wars and whatnot, uh, if someone was killed, uh, it, it was like a fine. You could pay a wear guild to the family to make up for the death of that person. Interesting. So this could have been like a, like a payment from, like, it could have been a payment from like a fallen family. Uh, I don't think fallen. Um, and say it, it, just because I don't think the fallen would have that notion, and we've never seen anywhere else, uh, in telling a fallen culture that they believe in this like compensation for an offense. Um, okay. So, but then again, we also don't see it anywhere. Like, period. Sure, sure. Like, this is the only entry of any of where girl where guild even being mentioned in destiny right that i know of it, me too um so hard to say if if it is supposed to be compensation for the death of sheer and it, if we do assume it's a strange coin that would really point to the nine having something to do with this that's that's what i'm thinking that seems to be where things are pointing to for sure um the other thing here is that they reference uh, Hugin and Munin, which are two Ahamkara that apparently were traveling with Shear, or perhaps uh, that's what Shear was hunting. It's unclear uh, in that regard. But we do know Hugin and Munin were dead, and their bones are silent, which is very interesting for Ahamkara, because typically, unless you, like, atomize the skeleton they can still talk through their bones so something crazy happened for their bones to just not talk after death and and you can even go visit those bones you absolutely they're, can. they're in the dreaming city they're they're at the very bottom of the of the dreaming city um and you can trade stuff to them you can i uh, it, it's uh it's pretty interesting that that they're still there so they're still that makes me think that they were maybe allies of of Sheer. Well, and that kind of leads back to the other entry, right? Where it's like the treacherous Ahamkara. Like, what you know? Were did they betray her? Did they? Was there something that happened between the those two and Sheer that caused them to turn on her? And then some type of event happened to stop her from killing them and to stop them from unmaking her or wish magic going on or crazy shit, which to me would say that if, if that's the if that's the scenario that's happening, then the nine could have intervened. And the nine intervened specifically to save possibly the soul or or whatever you want to call it, the entity of uh Sheer Ido. And but knowing what they took from Mara being a very personal i i keep saying it the, the personal lover of mara to say hey we're sorry take this as compensation that i i don't know there's a lot there's a lot here there absolutely is um i think i uh, to, to offer another perspective it could be the exact opposite um it could be oh. hugin and moonin um the only reason that makes me think hugin and moonin were allies of the awoken or allies to sheer is the fact that they have been given like their their remains have been given pedestals and places of of honor that they have like their own chambers and everything yeah um yeah so let's assume for a moment that they were trusted ahamkara 
Um, and okay. Sheer took them out on whatever escapade she was going to. Um, we do know that the nine, and I, unfortunately I don't have the lore card up in front of me because I wasn't thinking we were going to go into this realm. <laughs> <laughs> you, you never know with the nine, man. They you just kind of come out of... They just do what they want to do, right? <laughs> but we do know that the nine were looking and... I'm not going to get... I'm not going to do a, a 101 on the nine right now, but they were looking for a way to become corporeal. And they believed one of the methods to do that was via wish dragon magic. So perhaps... Oh, shit. Perhaps they saw two Ahamkara traveling with this lone awoken and either tried to steal the ahamkara from her or you know decided that they were going to to just kill her and and take them in some capacity uh and things went sideways and and it led to the death of all three or or something along those lines i okay i want to meet the entity that comes across to Ahamkara, and the mightiest, the queen's wrath of the Awoken, and goes, huh, that'll be an easy target. I mean, they won. The, the, <laughs> I'll give you that. I'll give you that one, right? Like that's the, But the balls on whoever the hell this was. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, who the, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> yeah, no, okay. Well, uh, yeah, so there's Boy, we haven't really answered a lot of questions in this in these first few <laughs> entries. These are very metaphorical question asking entries we have here tonight. There there's a lot of things that we haven't gotten answers on about about these events. Yeah. Um and if we go back to that original vision, we might not get answers on what has been happening to Sheer until she comes back, hopefully during Lightfall or, or whenever that happens. Well, and that was something I was thinking about too. The the vision, could it be Petrovenge up there with her, with with Mara up on top? Certainly possible. Yeah, the current the new the yeah. the yeah the current Queen's Wrath. Um, yeah, and actually that is a perfect segue because Petra is the next Ha-ha! person we're going to talk about. Um, See, that was all planned out. It was all planned out. So um, we know now Mara lost Sheer during the the Reef Wars. And uh, even at that time, Petra was starting to make a name for herself as a Corsair, um, a recently titled, at that time, Corsair. Uh, we know from previous episodes that Petra had originally been undergoing training to be a Techian, didn't really click with her, and so she left, and uh, she, her, her um, training grounds or, or hometown, whatever it may be, of Amethyst, uh, was raised in the attacks during the the reef wars, which caused her to uh, become a corsair, to be to become a soldier, to go, you know, try and fight and seek vengeance. Um, yeah. So the uh, next lore entry that we're going to read here uh, actually comes from Destiny One. Uh, and this is the Grimoire card for Petrovenge. Uh, and it is a letter that Petra has written to the queen. Um, presumably, uh, this is after the Reef Wars, but prior to her being uh, Queen's Wrath. Um, 
and it, well, it goes like this. My letter is a plea, my lady, a simple one. Please, let me come home. It's been years now since my appointment as your emissary. Once I was proud to call myself a corsair in your service. My sisters and I were the sharp edge of your will, cutting across the stars in protection of the reef. It was your service that kept me from sorrow after Amethyst was raised. The loss of my sisters, my whole life, as our station burned. It took something from me. But your will, it was given back to me. Promoting me to the Corsairs, allowing me to strike back at the wolves, letting my fury find purchase in defense, in support, and in glorious battle. I know, as I'm sure you did, that without focus my heart would have grown toxic. It was my, pri- it was my pride in my position that sustained me through the Hildean campaign, that led me to victory in the battles against Velinkius the Forgotten Kel, the last hope for the unchained wolves. I know now that it was my willful pride that also brought me low. My lady, I offer again the only explanation I can. I did not know the guardians would act as they did. All I had known, all I had ever known, were the ways of the Awoken. The wolves were entrenched in that valley. The approaches were blocked, all sight lines covered. An assault on their position was madness. We would have spent precious Awoken lives for nothing. I saw the guardians, knew they were on the move, but I assumed they saw the situation as we did, that it was folly to call in the crows. Prince Aldrin's fighter's wing did a masterful job. The blast was pinpoint accurate. The blast tore apart the wolves and the guardians and their ghosts. Three strike teams of guardians, gone in an instant, on my order. The city's anger, the speaker's condemnation, all earned, all fair. But it has been years since the Reef Wars. The city, these people, they're not like us. They do not understand their place in the world, and do not listen when I speak it. Please, allow me to return home to my people, to serve you once again. So that's the end of Petra's letter. Uh, Holy shit. So we, we learn a couple things about the Reef Wars and about Petra's role in it. Um, so after she joined the Corsairs, I, you know, she um, led a successful campaign against this uh, Velinkis Kel who would have brought the wolves back together. But it sounds like the cost of defeating that final uh, bastion of the wolves before the end of the war was uh, that she did a, uh, what I assume was some kind of tactical nuke or, or yeah, you know, something, something similar. Could have, could have been like one of the, the, no, cause she wasn't a techie. And so it wouldn't have been one of the like harbinger weapons. No, it wouldn't have been a harbinger. And she mentioned that uh, she called it in, but it was Prince Aldrin's right, right. fighter wing that, that actually dropped the, the payload. I see. Was, was it a fifth generation? <laughs> air to air spare. <laughs> um, these aren't simulated tactical newts, are we? These are actual more. tactical newts. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. 
uh, unbeknownst to her, or, or I guess she knew they were there, but did not realize that guardians have a tendency to just throw themselves into the meat grinder, expecting they're always going to be able to come back up and make a couple more feet. Um, sure. She assumed that, okay, those guardians are going to see the same posi- same situation we did and go, yeah, we can't do this and back out. And so she called in the strike and it did eliminate that, you know, those last bunkers of, of the house of wolves and effectively, I assume, uh, end the war with that final strike. But it also killed the guardians and the ghosts of those guardians causing the final death of three strike teams of guardians. So nine guardians total. I mean, that's a, there's a, there's a parallel that could be dri- <laughs> drawn from that to, uh, you know, world history. Mm-hmm. The the end of the end of World War Two, and the United States said, "All right, well, we can end this. We can end this war with with Japan. We got this," and dropped two nukes on two cities. But yeah, the war ended. But at what cost? Like. That's a that's a hell of a price to pay there. Like I mean, granted this was just, you know, three undead space ghosts with their mechanical friends that keep reviving them for no reason. Um But yeah, that's uh that's a hell of a decision to make. And to accept the consequences of. Yep. And and the consequences were that, you know, the city, which we know now the city was established. The role of the speaker was established, though yep. it may not have been the same speaker we were familiar with in, in Destiny 1. Um, and, and they condemned perhaps all of the Awoken, but at, definitely uh, Petra, at the very least, for that, that loss of, of Guardian life. That, I think that definitely starts like that, that divide between the, the city and the Awoken people. For sure, yes. I mean, like it, because because even in D one, like it, when D one first came out, we didn't have access to to places like the Reef, and even when we like even throughout the D one campaign, when we go to the Reef, it it was like a like hey, there there were Awoken ships there that were just like you are in Awoken airspace, identify yourself or be destroyed, full stop. Like you don't fuck with us, we don't fuck with you. That's the agreement we have. Now you're in our territory, and so it was. It was a big deal for even in D1 for an Awoken or for a for a Guardian to go into the Reef into Awoken territory. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, no, I, and I, hell, we saw it. We saw it with with Shax, right? Like this, for any Guardian to be in Awoken territory, that's a big deal now. Um, well, or at least it was during you know D1 days, and this this could definitely be the 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 final catalyst that kind of like drives that wedge between the awoken and the and the city no absolutely uh and so the the recompense that mara put upon petra was that she had to be a embassy uh in the city uh and actually we saw her during destiny one for a brief period of time um in the role of embassy uh, in the tower, in the, in the Destiny 1 tower, uh, where you could talk to her, you got quests and bounties from her, and that's where the original uh, Awoken weapons came from in, in Destiny 1, such as the Supremacy and, and a few others. Holy shit. That might predate my time 
from playing yeah. Destiny One because I I always remember her being out in the reef. Uh, yeah, it was it was a very brief time. I, I want to say like maybe a month, May, maybe it was a little longer Holy than that. Shit. Um, but she showed up in the Destiny One tower as a, a vendor you could talk to, and that was her fulfilling her duties as an embassy, as trying to spread the the ideology of the Awoken with the people of the city as well as try to repair relations a little bit um by oh, holy shit offering you know gear and, and resources to the guardians that sought her out i mean what does the guardian want but but loot i mean hell we saw the same thing with uh Sav- Savin that was chow mu right like yep. <laughs> <laughs> all all a guardian wants is loot <laughs> some way to make their grenades faster <laughs> so uh at this point though um she is is writing this letter to Mara saying like it is the the war has been over for years i've been you know serving my sentence and it's just it's not working these people don't get it when i'm trying to tell them where their place in the world is which is maybe a bit presumptuous on petra's part uh, <laughs> just a little right <laughs> <laughs> but just like it's not working out i've i've been here for years let me come home let let me be with my people and serve you uh you know in a more meaningful way um and eventually that plea comes to fruition i uh, because the very next lore entry that we're going to talk about is a entry entitled Honored, which comes from the book, The Dreaming City. And that one goes like this. Pride flutters in Petra's throat like a trapped bird. She doesn't know whether she will fly away or drop dead. As the elevator descends, she looks left at Ilion and then right at Aldrin. She suffers shuffles in her gleaming formal armor from exile as tower emissary to this is incredible unbelievable she does not deserve it this is real she whispers unable to stop herself aldrin smiles but ilian makes a warding gesture be silent music begins to swell as the elevator settles at the center of the room, the paladins and the rest of Ilian's techians are arrayed around Riven, of course, and her breath catches. Mara. She can't help shooting another quick glance at Aldrin. How? His smile widens. Petra sets her jaw, pulls her shoulders back, stands strong and tall. A chorus of thirty sings them into the Hall of Names. The air is sweet with lavender, and there are hundreds of candles lit all around the room. And even at this distance, she can see Halam is verklempt. This is as good a homecoming as she could ever imagine, more than she ever deserved. When they reach the dais, she kneels. Aldrin and Ilion proceed past her so that they can acknowledge the queen and her awaiting counselors. The song ends. The music quells. Aldrin and Ilian speak together, and their voices ring out fierce and true. Your Grace, we here present to you Petra Venge, your loyal servant, 
Wherefore, all you who are come to this day to witness her homage and service, do you acknowledge her? Petra cannot see anything but her own distorted reflection in her polished sabatons. She closes her eyes. I do, Mara says, and Petra's throat tightens. Aldrin and Ilion synchronized. Petra Venge, are you willing to take the oath? I am willing, Petra manages, struggling to steady her voice. Will you solemnly promise and swear to protect our people, our holdings, our territories, and our immaterial interests? I solemnly promise to do so. Will you, to your power, cause law and justice in mercy to be executed in all your judgments? I will. Will you, to the utmost of your power, uphold our suspital duties in defense of your queen's life? Will you execute and preserve inviolably the orders of your queen? And will you preserve unto your dying breath the secrets committed to your charge? All this I promise to do. Then rise, Mara says, and declare yourself. Petra lifts her head to find Mara's eyes. Let it be declared that with the oaths which I have here before promised, I, Petra Venge, will perform and keep. Mara smiles and steps forward with a fresh-forged knife. Then receive this blade, brought now from the forges of Intermina. With this blade do justice, stop the growth of inequity, restore the things that are gone to decay, maintain the things that are restored, punish and reform the things that are amiss, and confirm the things that are in proper order, that doing these things you may embody my will and become my wrath. May the hunt be good. May the hunt be good, echoes the assembly. Petra does not see the cynical glance that passes between Leona and Pavel, who have both served the queen faithfully for decades. She does not see the way Riven tastes the air. She sees Mara, and Mara alone. And that's the end of that card. That's a that's a cool. I, I I'm a sucker for cool military ceremonies like <laughs> all the all the pomp and you know the, like having having been military like you, I know the I know the amount of time and effort these guys take to like polish their uniforms and every like all the awards and everything all the ribbons and they've got to be exactly you know eighth of an inch here quarter of an inch here da 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 da, da like all the way down the line and it's I'm I'm. I'm a sucker for any of this, any, any of the, any of that stuff. So I, <laughs> I'm kind of like giddy right now <laughs> thinking of this entry, but uh, yeah, so this is, uh, this is it. Uh, Petra has now been made Queen's Wrath. Um, number two in command, second only to Mara and, and Aldrin, the, the queen and the prince of the Awoken. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, 
I, there's not really much to say here. This is a really just a really cool ceremony. <laughs> it is. It, it is. It is really cool, and there's not a whole lot of details to gleam outside of what's already here. Um, oh sure. Other than it's, it's uh, pretty damn detailed as it is. <laughs> it, it is. It is. Uh, the only two little things that are are one's just kind of cool, and one's like informing some some of the unrest that's maybe happening in the background. Um, the first being that uh, Mara is the one that has gifted Petra her knife, the the one presumably that we see her use everywhere. Oh yeah, um, the old the old knife trick. Yep, like that. That is Mara gave that to her as symbol of her becoming Queen's Wrath. Uh, so that's just a cool Fre- little freshly f- freshly forged from where the hell is this yeah. name? Interaminia. <laughs> I- Intera. Intura, interumnia, in, interumnia. Yeah, there are no vowels between the M and the N. This is making so. these goddamn words up at this point. Oh, it's just rude. Freaking awoken in their weird ass rude, rude words. I can't. So, so anyway, here's a fun thing though. As difficult as that word is to say, it's a real word. Um, Get out of town. And again, Get the hell out of town. <laughs> and again, it comes to us from greek origins i knew uh, it i knew it either be greek or latin and it is a uh ancient greek name meaning between rivers um and uh so you know we we know that the awoken seem to have this thing about rivers you know distributary and uh and uh well i guess mainly distributary I, is what they <laughs> I, was, I was gonna say come on man come up with another one and i was like wait there was another one but no uh but and now inter amina uh so yeah there again another river reference another greek reference as there are so many in this game i i like i like to think of it as like uh um you know the the if 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 we keep with this like river metaphor thing like uh you know space is like it's like the great sea right like that's that's the next any, anytime you see any type of uh uh sci-fi show they talk about space being the the great ocean like that's that's the next new frontier you know like that's and so so to see these these river ideas are i i, I think it's kind of neat because you know every, yeah. every river leads to the ocean so i think that's a that's just a neat little thing and of course the the grief referencing that's that's just the uh Whoever this, whoever this Greek intern is, or that, that works at Bungie, good on you, good on you. It's it's every I I love it, and it's everywhere. It's working. So. It's it's working. Whether it be a Greek intern or the intern that has just a PhD in Greek philosophy, good on you. Absolutely. Uh, the only other little bit here that is worth um, noting is the very end it talks about how there's a cynical glance between leona and pavel um who both have served the queen faithfully for decades uh and i assume are are feeling like they deserved you know one of them should have been the queen the next queen's wrath not this upstart corsair that caused this huge you know political snafu I was going to say that's definitely two guys that are kind of pissy about not getting their what they think is their due and their deserved right. due. So yeah, and we we see that reflected in the fact that they have a desire that Riven you know tastes. Oh, Riven tastes shit. the air. 
I so there's I didn't even think of that. Yeah, there's something there that Riven's picking up on in in some fashion. Um but Petra is just awestruck by Mara. She is the only one she can focus on. Um and I I never have gotten the impression from any of the lore cards or from any of the dealings that we've seen in game between Petra and Mara that there's any kind of romantic relationship there like there was with Sheer. I don't I don't think there is. I maybe a mutual it, it's funny cuz like uh my wife even even talks about the 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 relationship between Shiraido and uh Mara as being this mutual respect of this hunter. But I think theirs theirs was a was very much a a a love interest whereas like Petra and Mara I think are, are more that that mutual warrior thing. Yeah. Um I I definitely think that Shira and Mara had a, a romantic relationship. I, I think that's pretty clear from what we read, oh, yeah. uh, especially in our last episode. Uh, between Petra and Mara, though, yeah, I, I feel it's more a... Um, it starts off with Petra being... Sees Mara more as an idol. Um, sees Mara more as that, like infallible god that she is supposed to have faith in Uh, and that has really driven her character is that when she was in a really dark place from the loss of of amethyst and her sisters and everything she knew like her faith in mara is what kept her going and i think that has just become a part of her personality at this point is that she has undying uh faith in Mara and Mara's actions. Sure. Well, and I'm I'm curious is because I know when we talked about when the when the Awoken people split when they when they did come back uh, and we had the Earthborn and the Reefborn, it talked about uh, um, you know all of them having this this un not unnatural but like this this pull towards Mara that that mm-hmm. this pointing this compass pointing towards Mara, and I'm I'm curious if if that's I, I I don't want to say that that's Mara manipulating things. It, it it seems like it. Like in the back of my head, it seems like it. But I think, as far as Petra's concerned, I I think it truly is that that unwavering, that undying faith toward to Mara, and and may, maybe not to Mara, but definitely the Awoken people, the Awoken ideas, the everything of that that it means to be Awoken. Like that's I I yeah. Yeah, I think that. No, absolutely. And Mara is in a lot of ways the the pinnacle of those ideas. Absolutely. So I mean the three edicts, right? Yeah. Yep. Down from nine. She learned from Alice <laughs> Lee. Maybe don't make too many. Maybe just, you know, one or two and we'll call it good. Yeah. Easier to follow. Exactly. Exactly. Who needs who needs nine when you can have three? So uh, with that, we're going to transition our focus away from the Queen's Wraths uh, and over to Aldrin Sov, uh, because he is up to some very important things uh, in this time period, which would be after the appointment of um, Petravenge as the second Queen's Wrath, but before the meeting of our player guardian. And uh Aldrin gets up to some shenanigans. Uh yeah. Particularly an interest in the Black Garden. 
and uh we see some we see what uh what all that entails in the book titled the forsaken prince um so we're going to start with the length of chain part one from the forsaken prince and it goes like this Jolien, my man, Aldrin Sav whispers, you and I are going to take the Black Garden. Oh, yeah? Julian Till, famous among the crows, sniper, scout, and teller of tales, lies full sprawl, prone at Aldrin's side, the scrub-down length of a supremacy rifle snugged against his soldier shoulder nearly doubles his height. I hear you and I are going to float Saturn in a bathtub. I'm serious, Joel. And you'll be dead serious if you go to Mars. Hardy har har. Target range, 2,900 meters. Wind and rotation? Wind, 21 kilometers from your 3 o'clock. You are 2 degrees off, spin north. I'm going, though. I really am. You've got to come. You'll never live it down if you miss this one. I'll never live anything down if I'm dead. Shot ready. Send it, Aldrin says. The supremacy booms and kicks into Julian's shoulder. Aldrin doesn't even have to bother to check that it's a bullseye. You've been with me on all the big ones, Joel. I can't do it without you. Besides, he opens his hand to reveal the ejected cartridge snatched from midair, Cobra Quick. If we don't do it, some guardians will, and the next thing you know, Mara will be inviting them in to do crow work. Jewel rolls onto his right flank to regard Aldrin. The master of crows grins his winningest at Julian Till. Julian squints and slaps the mag release, one-handed. Aldrin catches it. You're a lot like your sister, Julian sighs. Except that when she plays dirty, she doesn't smile so big. I got all the charm in the family. Aldrin waits patiently for Joel to work the bolt and eject the chambered round. He usually wins this little game. Usually. But sometimes, Joel surprises him. Nobody's ever been inside the garden. Imagine what we'll find. <laughs> Nameless horrors? They're all nameless when nobody's named them, Joel. Nobody's ever been. Isn't that enticing? No, because your sister's forbidden it, Aldrin. That, he says cheerfully, is how I know it's worth doing. And because the awoken people will thrill at another tale of his narrow survival. Mara's never really understood how much heroes matter to people. A queen is an indispensable thing. But a hero, now you know what he wants when he's lost and when he's won. That's the end of that card. So here, here we have a, a sniper and his spotter just mm-hmm. shooting the shit. Uh, mid. <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming this is just target practice. I, I'm assuming I, I don't so, know yeah. If this is a full on, you know, in, out in the field or anything. And Aldrin, I I like I like Aldrin's like, he's he's got a bit of a pop to him, right? Like he's he's got this like, hey man, let's go let's go do this shit, you know? Like hey, there's this forbidden thing over here. Everybody knows it's off limits. Let's go fucking do it. Let's 
let's go, man. Let's let's go in there. Let's see what's in there. You know, it's got to be good because Mara said you can't go. <laughs> you know, like yeah. You know, and 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 that I I think he's he's partly playing up wanting Julian, which from this instance is definitely seems like a very very close friend um, to Aldrin. Yes, absolutely. Uh, he definitely wants his his close friend to come, but uh, um, it's it's also you know that's that's what Aldrin is he defines himself by what he can survive. So I think in his mind, he thinks, well, you know, if I can survive the black garden, like that's, that's just another thing that that's just another notch on the belt, right? Like that's just one more, one more story for the, for the history books. And and he says as much towards the end, the whole, like a hero, you know what he wants, you know what he's after. Like it, a queen's just a, that's just a figurehead. That's just a pomp and circumstance and blah, 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 blah. But a hero, ah, bravado, blah, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's interesting. So yeah, absolutely. Aldrin much more lighthearted at this point, much more um you know, th- these are two, you know, two very good friends, two military buddies that are, you know, are seemingly have, you know, 2900 meter target practice. I was, <laughs> I was gonna make a point to say something about it. I was like I like in my head as I'm doing this, I'm like 2300 cl- Two point three clicks. Is that what we're talking about? We're talking. T- t- what is this rifle? <laughs> what the hell is he shooting this thing with? This is a, and and now mind you, this is a rapid fire frame. In in de- this is a one forty. Okay, so this isn't even like a, the hardest hitting of the snipers in in game. Like, it, so like in my head, I'm like, okay, well, two point three. That's got to be something big. That's got to be like a three 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 eight Lapua, maybe. Maybe a thirty out six, maybe I I don't think fifty cal because I think fifty cal that'd be that'd be pushing the range of like the seventy twos, like I don't know. Even a three three eight seems a little little fast for a for a one forty. Maybe this is just a thirty out six, but still, like you're not gonna hit something at two point three clicks with a thirty out six. It's just not happening. Say it certainly doesn't happen in Crucible. I'll tell you that. Yeah, god dang right it doesn't, and not with. No, we're not talking about airborne efficiency <laughs> right now. No, that is a whole different show. Whatever the hell it is. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, very accomplished sniper by all means. Um, and yeah, yeah, his his buddy is trying to get him to come along on a on a little adventure. And I think I uh, I think maybe what Aldrin is is thinking to himself here about about the people need a hero is is maybe a little more at the core of why he likes to measure himself against the things he survives. Because from, from Mara's point of view, she has said as such, people need a leader that they don't understand because then they can assume that that leader knows things that they don't and, you know, will always be able to, to overcome insurmountable odds. Absolutely. Even if they themselves know that the odds are, are insurmountable. Right. Like even if the leader themselves knows that that this that this is something that I can't overcome, if if the people believe in that leader that they that they can overcome that that leader can overcome, then the people then believe that they can overcome. Yeah. If that that's yeah. If that leader remains mysterious and so seems above the rest of them, it's easier to put their faith in that person to do impossible things. Absolutely. From Aldrin's point of view. He's he's saying what what Mara doesn't understand is the people also need somebody more on their level that they can look up to and say, 
they did it that and that will inspire other people to become stronger to strive to be more heroic and i think for aldrin personally what this is saying is he can he says hey as long as i can come out in the end i can still be the hero and you know until something comes along that kills me i'm i'm going to keep trying to add to to the the history books of what we the awoken people are able to do when we really put our mind to it absolutely so i i think similar uh wants a similar result but is going about it in a very different way has a very different mindset to to mara and uh yep. but again this also plays into him wanting mara's approval he wants her to see him as a hero he wants her to uh acknowledge his accomplishments and and see that he is uh contributing to their people absolutely like that's it addicted to her approval is mm-hmm. is the term we've used before and that's absolutely couldn't apply more here yeah so we continue this with the very next chapter of the forsaken prince book which is the length of chain part two and it goes like this their departure is meant to be secret Nobody will turn out, he assures Joel. We'll slip away at Zenith. By the time anyone catches on, we'll be arrow-baking into the Meridian Bay. You are insufferably cocky, Joel says, and by the time we go, the whole city will know you're up to something. They will not. When they set out for their ship, they find the promenades and galleries a swarm with cheering throngs of Aldrin's fans and followers. He waves and waves, turning, grinning, in a better mood than he will maybe be ever again. And if one dark moat burns within him, it is the fear and certainty that these people love him only because he is closest to their queen. Do they ever ask themselves why he's constantly breaking her rules? Why he always ventures so far from her? He wants his sister's approval. He knows and accepts that but he wants her approval for something she did not anticipate, did not plan or foresee, did not account for. He wants her to thank him with surprise. If you hurl yourself away from someone to test the length of your chain, you cannot know the chain's length until it draws you short. Does that make sense? Aldrin thinks so. Aldrin is afraid so. Either he is truly free of his sister, free to choose to stand at her side, to choose his own free will, or the chain is longer than he has managed to run. That's the end of that chapter. I I love this. This whole idea of like, oh yeah, no, nobody will know. Nobody will find us. We'll be long gone by the time they figure (laughs) out. The whole freaking city is just, yeah! and he's just like yes thank you people thank you my fans my (laughs) cheering yes Aldred, Aldred." yeah no that's that's exactly what's happening here oh yeah he's you know he's he's the hot shot he's the he's the celebrity he's he's the beloved absolutely uh you know warrior going off to some other corner of the universe to show how grand the awoken are Um, yeah and internally, though he's thinking to himself, these people only care about me 
because I'm so close to Mara. Now, I, I don't know that that's true. I would like to think that Aldrin has probably built this, this fan base for himself because of his own accomplishments. Um, but he doesn't believe that. He doesn't sure. think anyone would care about him if he didn't have this connection to Mara. And it's also interesting to see he knows that he wants her approval desperately. And he accepts that fact. And it also seems that he's trying to see, I don't know if this is entirely accurate, but kind of like a a little kid going through, you know, the rebellious phase, quote unquote. Um, Oh, absolutely. He's trying to see how much trouble can I get into before, before like finally she has to do something about me. You know, yeah. How mu- what can I do that will finally shock and surprise her? What can I do that she didn't plan for to prove to myself that I have my own free will and that yeah. everything I do wasn't just predestined by her? Because that's that's very much the the mystery around Mara, right? Is the whole like everything seems to be because she's so confident that it's going to be that way that when it turns out that way, everyone's like, oh look, she's malevolent. She's she knows all like she is omnipotent like she is everything and so to see i mean the fact that these entries are entitled length of chain like he's trying to he's trying to see how far he can push it mm-hmm. um to see you know at what point in time does mara finally have to say okay reel it in like cut this crap out now you're just being stupid um even there there are some things that even i can't predict or see or whatever right so yeah i i think you're right so that leads us into the next chapter of this book called At the Gate, Part 1. Give Aldrin Sov the chance to torment a guardian, and he will take it faster than you can shout. Rasputin shot the traveler, an opinion he, lo- an opinion he lobs into guardians' minds whenever he can. He hates the traveler's horseflies the way anyone would hate an infant godling issued with coloring book morality and a whining know-nothing paperweight. They are self-righteous, cocksure, callously instrumental intruders in a system they do not understand. He hates that most, the ability to move through the world without caring about how it works. So he's done everything to guardians he can think of. Shot them up, shot them down, sent them on doomed quests, dunked their ghosts in intolerably stinky cellophanol, drilled holes to bury their obnoxious patrol beacons inside solid rock, tricked them into disassembling mighty weapons. But every time he gets into a gunfight, he wonders what it must be like to do this without without any sheer raving terror. Jolien, he hisses as the goblin downslope lobs another grenade his way. Jolien, where are you? Nothing. The grenade detonation pops Aldrin's ears and he pushes ozone up his sinuses so hard that he sneezes. The goblin fires at the sneeze. Glassy shards of melted sand ricochet off his cover and shatter into chiming airbursts. He is 300 meters upslope. Guardians, armored cabal, and fearless vex may fight at point-blank range but mere mortals still hang back so far they can barely see their targets. The infernal thing about Vex is that they teleport. 
Aldrin's not sure if he's pinned down by ten goblins or one. A bullet cracks past. That's the end of that chapter. Again, another entry that not a whole lot of not a whole lot of stuff to play off of. Like this is just him assaulting the 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 gate, the, essentially the entry to the black garden. But I I want to take a a minute here to kind of like dissect his opinion of guardians. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, the the first thing just being the whole Rasputin shot the traveler. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't know why I absolutely love that whole thing. Like that the the whole idea because that's like that's the big rumor. Like like that's the whole thing that at at, at least from Aldrin's point of view, he's spreading as a rumor to say that's why the traveler is essentially dead and sitting above the last city. I mean, we know that there's a whole lot more to it than just, hey, Rasputin shot the traveler. Well, and but uh, I, I say in, I, I think it's funny. So th- this book came out with Forsaken. Um, it was a pretty well-held fan theory for some time that that was the case. Um, yeah. That was later disproved completely yep. um, via other lore cards uh, that Rasputin had calculated that as a possibility of what it might have to do, but never actually followed through um, or never had to follow through, I should say. So this is another like yet <laughs> they're, they're kind of metagaming a little bit. They're like, they are. we're, we're going to canonize this, this theory that's kind of out there <laughs> that, that has been disproven, but not a lot of people maybe have, have looked it up to find out. Yeah, I like it. I really like it. Uh, but yeah, so he, you know, the, these next few entries, he hates the traveler's horseflies the way anyone would hate an infant godling issued with coloring book morality and a whining know nothing paperweight. I, I, I don't, I don't like. I want it. I'm, I I almost want to agree with him. Yeah, like, honestly, it's pretty accurate <laughs> to the an, initial like Destiny One, and uh, somewhat beginning of Destiny Two, Guardians. Like, no, no offense to all you new lights out there that are just finding this podcast. Yeah, yeah. We don't <laughs> think you're just a know nothing horsefly with coloring book morality <laughs> and a whining know nothing paperweight. You are a guardian of the last city. But, but this there is, was a time. <laughs> this is very much how the story was presented to us throughout Absolutely. the entirety of, of Destiny 1 was you are the good guy, they are the bad guy, go shoot them. Go shoot them. That's full stop. That was the entire story. You good, they bad, go kill. And it's very interesting to see Aldrin, you know, a, a in-game character, recognize that that is not how the world works and to yeah hold a very um you know a very uh i don't want to say aggressive but uh ill opinion opinionated of the guardians <laughs> yeah. because of that um absolutely but i i do like picturing some of this though i can't help but laugh i uh, <laughs> The the shot them up and shot them down is is not you know again karma coming your way Aldrin. Um, 
slightly. But the the other things he's done actually like just kind of make me laugh. Um, like dunked their ghosts in this intolerably stinky, uh, you know, material. Uh, the real one drilled holes to bury their patrol beacons inside solid rock. I can, I could just imagine that, right? Like you you know that there's a patrol. Like you you pop your ghost out and it says, okay, like, there's a patrol beacon over there, and you go over to that point and there's no patrol beacon. Like you can't find it, so you're just like. What the fuck is wrong with this patrol beacon? Not knowing that Aldrin has drilled a hole in the wall and <laughs> stuck it in there. Like, that's yep. absolutely. Every single bugged patrol beacon, you can just assume at some point in time that was Aldrin having fun. 100%. Yep. 100%. Uh, and then, like, like trick them into dis- dismantling mighty weapons. How many How many times do you think he got somebody to dismantle their Galahorn in front of him? <laughs> Sad face. Sad face. <laughs> But no, so he's he's having all these thoughts go through his head, um, and despite his uh, ill will towards the Guardians, he can't help but wonder, what is it like to just not care when you're in the middle of yeah. a, a bullet storm? Um, you know, what is it like to be able to just run right up to him and mess him up at close range? And where he, as a mortal, is like, I gotta be way the hell back in the rocks and taking cover and making sure that they can't hit me or hopefully can't hit me. Uh, and this entire time he's calling for Julian, like, hey, where's my, you know, where's my support here? Where's my sniper? <laughs> uh, and he's got this goblin coming up the way. Um, he doesn't know if it's one or many just because they teleport and he can't get a good, you know, he can't peek out enough to get a good sight. And then he hears that bullet crack past his head. I uh, presumably Julian finally has dialed in the enemy um, and is making his shot. I'm just, I'm just saying bullets take a little bit of time to travel, especially you're shooting them 2.3 clicks out. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just saying. <laughs> uh, so that leads us into uh, the very next card of, of this book, which is at the gate part two. Radiolarian fluid splashes on the sand. I got it, Julian radios. But I'm pretty sure I also got made. Confirmation arrives in a fusillade of cabal mortar shells. Smart munitions that home in on the sound of the rifle shot. Usually the cabal do not waste them against Vex. Some centurion must be eager to use her toys on a target that won't teleport away. Aldrin sucks air in relief when Julian clicks his transmat switch to signal he's okay. Aldrin gets up, panting. He can just see the gate to the garden. Everyone knows where it is, sure, it's just getting inside that's the trick. The air blurs, a roiling cloud of vacuum flux blocks his view, and then in a blast of discharge, a vex minotaur strides into existence. Aldrin curses, throws a jamming grenade, and runs. There's got to be a better way to do this, he gasps. Any ideas? Only the one you don't like. Thread the gate with a ship coming in at Mach 20. The gate's not active. Even if we made it through the Cabal guns, we need to trick the Vex into opening the door. That means killing a gate lord with just our personnel weapons. No, it doesn't, Aldrin breathes. I have a princely idea. This is what Aldrin lives for. Skittering past death, brushing its whiskers, leaping away from that toothy maw. 
Break contact. We need stealth now. Then we need to pick a few unfortunate targets. And that's the end of that card. Another short one. Jolian made his shot. Now, now we just got to get inside. Like I, I do like the idea of just flying a ship, like <laughs> just balls to the walls, Mach twenty, just full throttle all the way in, and then it's like, okay, yeah, even if we did that, the gate's still not open. Like it's still just a giant metal ring that doesn't solve anything. Like yeah, and then the the few unfortunate targets. I'm assuming that's just a few Vex or a few Cabal or something in the area, possibly a Guardian or two. Like, I, I. I like this. <laughs> um, so I say the uh, last entry we're gonna do tonight is uh, the very next one called "Through the Gate," uh, and this one goes like this: They crawl belly down across the Martian desert like worms. Active camouflage ponchos break up their outlines. The roaming cabal harvesters growl on the horizon. For the last eight hours, Julian has been picking off Cabal infantry with his rifle, fleeing the eruption of automatic counterfire. Aldrin has listened on cracked battle nets as mightier weapons are invoked and brought to bear. The war machine is now inflamed, swollen with outrage. Julian touches Aldrin's ankle. Fingertips drum out code. How far? Fifty meters, Aldrin whispers. If the Vex know we're here, they haven't... The air prickles. Subsonic groans of power stir in the sand. Something mighty awakens above them. Never mind, Aldrin mutters. The Vex have now reacted. He throws off his poncho, rising with revolver and deflection grenade in his fists, screaming challenge. Jutting from the Martian desert before them is the canted, fringed hoop that is the Black Garden's gate. Huge enough to swallow a fallen skiff, it thrills with infinite energy. Out of the aperture emerges the behemoth silhouette of a Vex Gatelord, metal and mine crashing together, self-assembling, ready to defend this secret place. The Vex are born here in the sense of baptism, consecrated to the service of some terrible purpose that the machines found within. Hey, big guy, Aldrin shouts, over here. Calmly, carefully, Julian Till begins to fire his rifle straight up into the sky. The reports of the Supremacy's huge cartridges spill out across the dunes. The Gatelord towers above them. Aldrin whoops and hip-fires a couple rounds into the sand at his feet. Can you dance, sir, he bellows. Have you got the footwork? Inside the Vex entity, their mighty algorithms constructing a model of this merely temporal place, calculating potential threat, weighing the utility of weapon discharge against the good that power might do elsewhere. This computation is the only reason Aldrin is still alive. The bone mic tuned to Gabal tactical channels wakes up at Aldrin's throat. They have localized the sound of Julian's rifle and are responding. He hollers up at the Vex behemoth and starts to jig. It's going to rain on Mars. It's going. It's monsoon season here in Meridian Bay. Did you see the forecast? He grabs Joel by the hand and pulls. Together, they sprint towards the Gatelord and its charge. The Vex machine must know what's coming. 
but it has to weigh the certainty of cabal against the tiny possibility of these microbiotic motes slipping into the gate. The gate lord raises a weapon to obliterate them. They skid into the gate's threshold, and Aldrin activates the deflection grenade so hard he nearly breaks his thumb. A perfect sphere of topologically defective space-time blinks into being around him. He holds Julian close, and together they calm their breath. The barrier is impenetrable, but it will not last long. Until then, there's only so much air to breathe. Outside, the full fury of a Cabal fleet carrier lands on the Gate Lord. When the barrier fades, the Gate Lord is dead, and Aldrin and Julian are no longer on Mars. And that's the end of that chapter. I I love this. This this idea of these two guys just I mean all this all this military bravado, right? Like the the creeping through the sand on their bellies and you know, tapping on each other's ankles to to so that way they don't they don't make any sounds. They they they're feeling out, you know, where where are we going? Where are we going? You know, active camo ponchos that are hot, breaking up their outlines, making it look like nobody's there, and you know, and then all of a sudden, you you know, hey, how far? How much further? And Aldrin's like, you know, fifty meters. It's, we're almost there, I swear. And all of a sudden, you know, shit starts going off around him. The gate comes to life. This Vex Lord appears, and he's like, ah, shit. Too late. <laughs> and then and then this whole like, hey big guy, can you dance? Pop, 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 pop. Like what is the what is this Wild West bullshit? Like <laughs> This is this is just Ultron being a being a turd is what it is. Yeah. And then of course, you know, the the picking up the supremacy and just, you know and I, I, I say this lightly, but again, Whatever the supremacy shoots, whatever rounds that it is firing, have got to be big. And so for Julian to just kind of like lean it up in the air and just pop off, you know, ten, fifteen rounds, get get the hell out of here! Like, <laughs> yeah, get the hell out of here. <laughs> Which then calls in the you know the the all the smart munitions from the cabal to fire essentially right on that spot, which just so happened to have a gate lord in the same spot. <laughs> which I I'm trying to think. Is there a spot in D2 where we as the player get to see a gate lord? I mean, Atheon is my first thought as far as size. Um, um that's a I know good in, question. I know in D1 they send you on a mission to go to go get the head of a gate lord, right. you go fight a gate lord. Like that was that was a big thing to do was to save that checkpoint and use up your items to try to get uh, better drops from it. Because he was a fairly easily killable boss, but he—I mean—he was huge. Um, maybe Insight Terminus, or not Insight Terminus, um, Inverted Spire. Yeah, I, I think Inverted Spire might be a Gate Lord. I—I'll have to look at the name next time I, I run through sure. that. Um, yeah, I think Inverted Spire maybe. Uh, that might be the only one. Yeah, because I think Atheon is technically like higher than a Gate Lord as far as in function. Right, um, like he is like the the above all gate lords, like right, uh, comparable in size though to to yeah. what the the model is to give people a perspective of like this huge, thing they were huge facing. Specs. Yeah, like this the for especially for you know non guardian non light bearers you know mortals with nothing but their personnel weapons. <laughs> yeah, to take on this <laughs> towering 
Vax is insane. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's insane. And the fact that they make it, presumably, uh, not presumably, they do make it. The they last do make it, yeah. When the barrier fate, like, I, I like the, the idea of this little barrier, right? Like, you know, pop, pops this little thing that's just completely impenetrable. It only lasts for so long. There's so much, there's only so much air to breathe inside this little bubble. Uh, but then, of course, you know, full, full cabal fleet carrier, just all the munitions of everything lands on this gate lord, and then gate lord out of existence, and now they are no longer on Mars. And that's that's where our cliffhanger begins. Yeah, that's that's the cliffhanger of this episode. So we're gonna tune in next week. Yeah, we're <laughs> we're gonna end it there for tonight because um, we're coming up on time. Uh, Absolutely. Say there were a few shout outs though. Wanted to to go Sweet. over here at the, the end of the episode. Um, I love a good shout out. It gives me a lot of good feel good feel good feelings. Yeah, in my happy place. Uh, so. Coming to uh, the first one, coming to us from uh, Twitter uh, by the name of BT, um, just left us a little message saying, Killing it, fellas. Love the listen. Awesome work. Number one D2 lore source. Uh, so thank you. That's, that is very, there, there's a lot of competition in that sphere. So <laughs> I'm glad we're number Amazingly, one. Amazingly, there is. You. I didn't realize how much. I mean, I, I guess in podcast form, I, I don't I don't know that there's a whole lot, but definitely as far as like just just lore dissection and lore, um, uh, what, I, what what would you call? It? I guess I guess lore dissection is probably the best best term. I mean, obviously there's there's uh, my name is Bife, Milam Games. Like I mean, these are huge names. Like to, we they are our. Vex Gate Lord. We are the little, <laughs> we are the little microbial moats <laughs> slipping by. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Um, I say, uh, one that comes to us from Audible. Now that I know those exist, and we can can go Yay. find those. Uh, this one comes to us from uh just username Carrie on Audible. I. Uh, it says, uh, I can't show my appreciation for this podcast enough. I can't tell you for how long I've been looking for a way to dive into Destiny lore that is not totally life-consuming. And I can finally say that I found it. I'm glad to have you two do all my homework, homework for me. I mean, to have Myth do the homework. Uh, thanks, guys, and <laughs> keep knew, it up. I knew you were going <laughs> to... I was going to say something, and then you said it. <laughs> I am just reading verbatim what they put in their their review. Wait, did they say you by name? Yes, did they, they did. Say yes, they did. God damn it! <laughs> uh, well, they're not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but so thank thank you uh, to to Carrie for leaving us that uh, on on Audible. Um, as a, I I do wonder how I, I suppose because you can break it up, but I I do wonder like. Two-hour episodes not being life-consuming. If you listen to giant stints of us, but uh... nah, man, you just do it at work, right? Like you, you got one little earbud in, right? Like I, I don't know if it's just me, and maybe I, this is making me old, or maybe it makes me feel old. But almost every place I've gone to, some somebody there has got at least one AirPod in. Oh yeah, and I'm like, what are you? I'm guilty. Do you of literally that. spend all. <laughs> Get out of town. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, I am absolutely guilty of that. I pretty much oh consistently have music or or podcasts or whatnot going. So, uh, yeah, I feel old now, Myth. That's all right. I feel, I feel so old. <laughs> oh well. Well, thank you, Carrie. I'm I'm glad that you also recognize that Myth does all the work, <laughs> and I'm just around to analyze live. Uh, Myth likes my live my live reactions to stuff too. So yeah, absolutely. I say I yeah. A lot of a lot of our our theory crafting comes from bouncing ideas back and forth. Uh, I love I love our theory crafting. Although I will admit, Myth definitely has the better end of it. He he comes up with a lot better theories than I do. But I think that's because he does a lot more homework than I do. Yeah, well, you know. But no. So the the last um little shout out here is not necessarily a review or anything like that but um say we had a a question slash request kind of that was was posted to our twitter um this is again by uh pc gamer twilight who we had gave a shout out to i think a couple episodes ago uh yeah so they had the question of um debts needing to be repaid as far as the uh awoken um you know handling the house of wolves during the reef wars uh and and all of that and so to to clarify kind of what our understanding is of of that whole situation um mara and the awoken that followed her coming into the soul system uh left the distributary because they believed the awoken believed they had a debt to repay to the the soul system that that the entire system right that them leaving the battle early um was you know something that they need they needed to come back and uh you know use their their technology and their knowledge acquired over their time in the distributary to pay it back to the to their home to to earth and whatnot um and try and help in any way they could i uh, and i think mara taking on the uh fallen during the reef wars and t- trying to protect the city is just an extension of that original uh debt that original thought that we are yeah, here absolutely. to protect humanity um and that was something that would have put humanity in dire straits if they had not stepped in so i I think that's the the debts that are are in question. Um, yeah, and then the the other thing that that they mentioned was, uh, what are your opinions on all of Destiny in general? What are the things you like and dislike most about the game? Uh, oh God, <laughs> not 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 gonna go terribly <laughs> in depth on that because honestly, it could make a whole nother show out of it. I was uh, going to say that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> <laughs> um. But I, I will say maybe just uh, generally speaking, for, for me at least, and uh, Zor can, can say what his own personal views are, uh, for me, I think the high points for sure are um, the narrative now, especially, um, the uh, story both like in-game as well as the, the lore context, obviously. Um, say if we're going to get a little technical, I think gameplay wise, it is still one of the best feeling shooters out there anywhere. Uh, there are a few now that are, are maybe comparable, but um, I think destiny still is, is 
well up there uh top three if not still number one for for me personally um dislikes i think are probably very similar to what you've seen uh other members of the community express i i feel like uh the champion system is a little dated that needs to be reworked i feel like their difficulty in general needs to be reworked um i feel like the uh just the way they approach um how seasonal content is um dished out week to week uh well i like getting those weekly story beats i feel like the um the process the the recipe they're using is is starting to to get a little stale at this point um so not that i claim to have answers for any of that but just my personal feelings as i've played through the game um i i should say one last positive i'll I'll end on on one other positive uh, I really, really enjoy where they're going with build crafting. Uh, that is by far one of the most interesting things for me personally. Uh, I played a lot of Diablo. I played a lot of um, you know, Borderlands and whatnot uh, prior to, to Destiny and you know, during Destiny as well, where that's a, that's a big thing. You know, being able to make those builds that make me feel like I have... Uh, really come up with something special and makes me feel powerful. Those those keep me going all day. So uh, that's my side of things. I'll let Zor have uh, show his side now. Yeah, uh, I I think I think a lot of it is the the storytelling, the the lore, the you know, like I I'm I'm definitely when I think of of games or or, or worlds or universes, I'm definitely more the sci-fi uh between myself and my wife uh my wife is a lot more fantasy she likes a lot of you know magic and wizards and dwarfs and stuff like that and uh i i'm definitely i i love a good science fiction uh only because i think i've I've been obsessed with space and space travel and you know the i i i studied a lot of the apollo missions and the gemini missions and the mercury missions and um fun fact uh april 12th uh is uh cosmonaut day in russia because that was the day that yuri gagarin made his uh initial flight to be the first human uh to be put into orbit yeah didn't know that did you fun fact uh so yeah so i like i, I to me it's a lot of the the space in, but i also like the fantasy like so for me it's the you know what if sci-fi but with magic and that's where destiny i think does like myth put it, it it destiny is one of the only games that i think that i can think of that puts sci-fi and magic together and says this is our world yeah you can shoot a gun but you can also create a black hole um in the palm of your hand and huck it at somebody you know you can create little miniature suns and throw them on the ground and burn the world like i i like that idea i like that idea of magic and, and stuff i think the gunplay is is incredibly unique like there's there there's not a lot of games that that can capture a gunfight uh between a player and an an ai entity or or a player and another player or anything like that the way that destiny does and i really like that um i think as far as far as dislikes i i 
I, I'm half and half on the champion system. I think it is starting to show its age a little bit. Um, my 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 biggest qualm is is match game. I I yes. with like yes. like what Myth was saying with build crafting. Build crafting is awesome. It's amazing. It's so dependent on you running a single element, like you being a solar warlock with a solar gun and a solar heavy to just solar kills do this and solar abilities power your solar weapons to power your solar kills to into build. There's all this like flow between a single element. But then every single difficulty at the highest tier has match game, and it I I I'm not following the logic there. I'm not understanding the the it's it's almost like the two departments aren't quite talking to each other. Like the department of of debuffs and and terrain and 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 what it strikes and playlist stuff is isn't talking to the guys that are doing the build crafting. Or you know, there's some sort of disconnect there, or maybe maybe it's, this is just a, a system that will get revamped once we have all the all the new um, subclasses. So once we have Arc 3.0 next season, like that's I'm I'm a huge Arc fan. I I'm I'm an electronic engineer. That's what I went to college for. That's what I did in the military. I love electricity. That's what my dad did for 30 years. I love electricity. So Arc Arc being last to me is kind of like this giant waiting game. <laughs> so yeah um no i i i the biggest my my honestly my biggest qualm is match game out of out of the entire destiny universe the one thing that i can point out and go i hate that match game yeah but then like to for myth for this compliment sandwich too i'm trying to think of a another good one to end on um i I like raids. <laughs> uh, no, I, I I actually like um, I have I have a hard time with people, and so to be able to have something like Destiny that I can bond with somebody else with over uh, and have a mutual uh, and an in depth conversation like the way like what Myth and I have uh, on these episodes uh, to be able to find people like Myth or or any of the any of the rest of our uh, clan members, you know, Big Scotty, Tina Italiano, uh, uh, Eclipse, uh, Keystone, all all those guys, little stinky. Um, yeah, no, I just, I, I, I love being able to talk shop about something that I love, and for somebody to have that same level of, um, not not dedication or devotion, but understanding, I guess, of, of that thing and be able to, to bounce ideas and bounce questions off of and, and theories and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, so, as, as you can tell, we do have a lot of thoughts about oh, uh, yeah. the different aspects of the game, <laughs> both positive and negative. Um, but we're, we're going to try and keep this particular podcast to uh to lore <laughs> <Under> only <laughs> um oh oh yes and to lore only <laughs> right to, to lore only that that was kind of our, our main thing because you start inviting some other difficulties when we start getting into gameplay mechanics and and those yeah. kinds of things and that that that's a discussion that there are many of other content creators out there that are much uh more well informed and uh have been doing it for a long time that tackle that a little better than than we will um Hash, hashtag yeah. fallout place hashtag ass across hashtag gimme cakes hashtag cool guy hashtag Kuche. <laughs> yeah all of those um just to name a few <laughs> all of those and many more uh so 
yeah but uh but yeah so that that's that's it as far as shout outs go all right well sweet um from all of us lauren and all of you guardians out there we'll see you next week <laughs>